0: Well, good morning, Maria and Baptist. It's good to be back with you. I think it's been about five years since we've last been with you, so it's an awesome thing to be back here and uh, see how the Lord's using you and how the church is growing. So we praise the Lord uh, for that. And again, I'm Lamar Sally, my wife Joanna, um, back here in the back, good back row Baptist way in the back over there in the corner. <laughs> so <laughs> um, we have been in Costa Rica since the year 2000. And the uh, Lord has been blessing opening doors left and right. This morning, what I'd like to do to start off uh, is to actually just show you a quick video of our ministry. Uh, it lasts like, I don't know, about three and a half hours. I think we're going to have popcorn <laughs> back here in the back. So <laughs> it's about three and a half minutes. It's not that bad. And uh, so we'll watch the video, and then I'll come back up. And I think I'm supposed to cue that video. So let me see if I can do that. Pastor, Missionary, Lamar Sally. My family and I have been serving in Costa Rica since the year 2000 as church planters.
1: Clap your hands and stomp your feet till you find that gospel because it's all you'll ever need, all you'll ever need. Clap your hands and stomp your feet till you find that gospel because it's all you'll ever need, all you'll ever need. Hi, how are you? every sunday we have three services we have one here in Cajiquitos, we have one in san rafael and we have one in barba here's the one in Cajiquitos. We finally made it to San Rafa. now we're going to go check out this church. We have arrived at our last church in Barba, so let's go check it out. Come with me one more time. church Church is actually really special because this church doesn't have any space for Sunday school classes so what we do is that we get a soccer field we get this soccer field and we get they bring the kids down and these kids have Sunday class school classes in a soccer field Hola.
0: <laughs> Costa Rica is a beautiful country located between Nicaragua to its north and also Panama to its south Costa Rica has about 5 million people, and of those 5 million people, 75% claim to be Roman Catholic. We start churches by partnering with national pastors, training them if needed, and then we use a strategic plan by bringing in U.S. teams that will come in and help us get the church started.
1: Build your king.
0: Very good. Well, it's a shot of my family, and am going to advance to the next thing here, maybe. Nope. Oh, there's my fam there. And um, before this picture, there was a shot of our, our logo. It's GC2, and it stands for Great Commission, Great Commandment, the G and a C and a, and a G and a C, two times, and some people say GC squared. Um, but it just means that we are focused on completing the Great Commission and also showing the great commandment. This is a picture of our uh, full family. And this year is a little bit different because this is the first year that we are returning back to report to churches without any children. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Get Pastor Steve to go up here sing something about freedom in Jesus or something, please. <laughs> um, uh, no, we love our kids, uh, but they are all grown up. And uh, the one on the far left, you saw him in the video. That's Kevin. That's her oldest, and he is a middle school youth pastor in Columbia, South Carolina area. His wife is a uh, Christian school teacher. His wife was my intern, and uh, then the next to her is my daughter Alexa. She's uh, located right now in Nashville, Tennessee, and her dream is to train service dogs, and uh, so she's getting set up in the Nashville area. Of course, my wife here, and then on this, on the right-hand side, is my son Matthew and his wife, Kayla. Kayla was also my intern in Costa Rica, so we've got to bet them real good, you know. Looking for an intern for my daughter, you know, but my daughter's six foot one. She's, so we, have, we had a guy, we're like, this is the guy. She's like, no, he's shorter than me. He's not going to work. I'm like, oh, his mom and dad were like, we're going to stretch him. We're going to stretch him out. We're going to stretch him. So uh, so it's been a huge blessing. Uh, incidentally, talking about interns, Miss Julie Bump, who you might know that's here at the church. She was my intern as well. And, um, and we just realized last night that while she was interning with us in Costa Rica, Berean Baptist came down. She was there when your church came, and she interned with you guys down there and helped your team In Costa Rica, and uh, that was a pretty cool little connection uh, to bring together. Real nice uh, to see Julie serving the Lord and just doing a great job. One One of my all time best interns ever, so I really love her a lot. Well, I'm gonna continue on and show you some things in ministry. Our main ministry is to help start churches. And Lord's allowed us to help start at least 10 churches in Costa Rica uh, in and also in Nicaragua. We've also helped start a work there. And so, Lord's doing a lot of things and opening a lot of doors uh, in the ministry. And we use a simple strategy we look for a church planter to start off with and uh, go that route and partner with them to uh, get a church plant start. Now, if the church planter doesn't have uh, training, we will train them. And actually, Pastor uh, Bill came down and helped us with some of that. Um, also, uh, if they don't, again, if they don't have training, we will help train them. And this is like one of the groups of uh, some pastors and leaders that came. Uh, after we train them, we will then assess the area where they want to plant the church and In a perfect world, we would start with a medical clinic. A medical team would come and do a medical clinic in the area. This picture is actually in Nicaragua, where we did a medical clinic. We had 600 people in one day come to the clinic. 600 people in one single day. In Costa Rica, generally, we see about 300 people in one day. Now, when they come to the clinic, the objective is to get the word out that there's a God right? That's number one. And also that there's a church plant happening in the area. And so these people will come through, they'll get medical attention, but they'll also get uh, spiritual attention because we share the gospel with them uh, as they're going through the process. And we have about five or six independent Baptist churches that always come and help us with every single clinic. Five or six independent Baptist churches working together, that is a miracle of God. <laughs> okay? And I'm going to show you this picture here. This is one of our, uh, one of our uh, church leaders, and he was uh, witnessing to a nun because they need Jesus. She came to the clinic. She came to the clinic. She's going to hear about Jesus. Right? Everybody needs Jesus. And then we try to give a Bible to those who receive Christ. In general, like I said, we have about 300 people come within walking distance. They walk to the clinic, 300 people, and about 100 people, when they pray to receive Christ, I call it a positive response to the gospel. We have about 100 positive responses to the gospel in one day, and we give them a response card, and on that response card, they can mark if they would like, the pastor of the church to call them, and we generally have about twenty-five families in one day that say, "Please, we want Pastor Bill Abernathy to please call us." <laughs> you know, so would that be a blessing even for Berean? If you had three hundred people walk to the church in one day, you had a hundred people in one day pray to receive Christ. Would that be a blessing for you? If you had twenty-five families that weren't a part of the church give Pastor Bill their name and say, "Call me." Would that be a blessing to the church? That's what we do to the medical clinics to start and launch a church. So that's the first step that we do. We hand that information over to the church planners, all color-coded depending on what their decision was, and it's his job to make those phone calls and do a follow-up activity for the church plan. This is Pastor Luis on the far left here. He told me that he made 100 phone calls. He took that information that we gave him, and he called 100 people himself. And because of his faithfulness, within one year, there was 100 people in the church. If our church plans follow our method and do their job, typically we'll see a church of 100 by the end of year one. Okay? And that's what the Lord's doing in Costa Rica. This is another uh, activity that we do with our church plants. not only in medical, but we can get into any elementary school. This is not an elementary school, but this is a BBS activity, but We have access to just about any elementary school in Costa Rica. We can walk in and say, the gringos are coming. And that's y'all, that's all, (laughs) the gringos are coming and they will shut down the school and they will bring the kids to us to do VBS and hear about Jesus. We have almost full access to almost every single public high school. We can walk in and say, gringos are coming and they will bring their students to us. And you know what we do? We share about Jesus to those students. The church planner or the youth pastor or somebody from the church is usually there, and they'll give a, a wrap-up at the end and invite the, the students to come, or we'll give them a flyer talking about the church plant. So that all goes back to planning, planting the church. Back in 2006, we actually did the reverse. We brought a team of Costa Ricans right here, right here. We went to Paw. And went to Madawan, and we actually got into the Spanish classes and taught Spanish. And then we invite those students right here to Berean, and they came. The Spanish teacher from one of the schools came with her students right here on your property, and guess what we did? Taught about Jesus right here at the church. This is one of the church plants that's doing a fabulous job. This church is about uh, just over four years old, doing a bang-up job. I just want to give you a shot of that. This is another church that that we planted way out in the country area. This particular church is uh, dear to my heart because uh, a little over a year ago, the church planter, uh, uh, the Lord chose to take him home because of COVID. And so just before he died, he turned this church work over to a a young couple. That's doing a great job there. And actually, in the video that you saw, during the worship service times, so you may have seen a young man playing a guitar. Uh, last Sunday was the one year anniversary of his COVID death as well. We work directly with church planning families, uh, six families, actually seven, just picked up another one, to encourage them and to help them and to bless them because we believe a strong, pastoral family will lead to a strong church. And we have seen many, many, many uh, pastors and wives and families just being neglected and and worked very hard, um, harder than what should be. In fact, um, if you were to think about it with me, you know, if you were to start a church, you know, if you were to start a church, first thing you would probably do is like, well, how am I going to feed my family, right? Right? So, you may have to work a job while you're planning a church. In Costa Rica, a typical work week is 50 hours, not 40 hours. So, it'll just start at 50 right there. But now you haven't done anything for the church. How much time would you calculate it would take you that you need to dedicate per week to getting the church started? I mean, you would have to go out knocking on doors. You would have to go out talking to people, counseling people, witnessing. You may be up to another 40 hours, Right? So You work for 50. When you get off work, you start knocking on doors. There's no time to to rest. You just start doing your thing. Teaching and preaching and knocking on doors. Well, you could be up to 90 hours a week. 90 hours a week. So, what happens to the pastor's wife? What happens to the pastor's kids while he's out planning the church and working? You see, I... Was working. I was discipling a um, a young pastor, and they had twin boys. And I'm going to change his name, but I just said, um, "said Manuel, do you ever do anything with your with your uh, with your kids, with your family? You ever take them out to get a hamburger or something?" Then he looked at me and he said, "Well, Lamar, um, tell you the truth, I don't." He says. You know, if if I did choose to take my wife out to get a hamburger one day, that would be the day that my kids don't eat. Because I only have enough money to pay for food for all of us for that day. So if I take my wife out, I've got to take my kids' food out of their mouth so I can take my wife to go eat. And I never thought about, I mean, I felt like that tall. Like, is there a rock I can hide under? You know, wow, I'd never thought about that. They live under that every single day. Every day of their life. 90 plus hours a week trying to do God's work planting church. And all I'm saying is, thank you, Marianne, for coming alongside of these people through missionaries so that we can help them with that process. See, some of those 90 hours go down when I hand him 25 families that say they want you to call them. You don't have to go look for them. They're asking you to call them. He doesn't have to go knocking on doors and try to find these people. They come to him. So these are some of the families, pastoral families, that we are partnering with direct. It's not directly, it's not all of them. And so the Lord also put on my heart, hey, why don't we do something for pastor's kids? And so we offer retreats just for the pastor's kids. Camps. And the speakers are pastor's kids who have grown up and are in the ministry. They're the ones who do the speaking. And put in my heart, hey, why don't we do something for pastors' wives? So I talked to my wife about it, and I, uh, she prayed about it, and she said she would do that. So what she does is she works with these ladies directly, six of them directly, teaching them a Bible study. And then we have a church that pays for a pastoral wives retreat. This year we had two retreats. Um, these are the wives that Joanna's working with, pastoral uh, wives. This year we had two retreats, and each retreat we had 20, about 24 pastor's wives come. So that's 48 pastor's wives that are coming and being blessed through this ministry. So Joanna teaches those six ladies when they had the retreat, then the ladies break up and sit down at different tables to then minister and teach the other pastor's wives. And we have a waiting list of pastor's wives wanting to come. And the pastor's wives that come, they said, No one's ever, ever done this for, be, before for us. Like, no one's ever thought of us before. Joanna shared the room with one pastor's wife, and they walked into the room, and the pastor's wife, she, she looked at she said, There's two beds in here. I said, Yeah, one for you, one for me. And she said, Well, um, can I sleep in the middle of my bed? And I says, "Sure. Well, can I sleep on the Can I sleep on the left side? Like if I want to sleep on the edge. Yeah. I don't care if you sleep upside on your head. I mean, <laughs> that's your bed." She said, "I'm sorry. It's kind of a weird questions. I'm sorry." She said, um, "I've never slept in a bed by myself. I always shared the bed with her brother or sister." got married with her husband, and had children, and with her children, she'd never slept in a bed by herself. So we come in and we tell them we want to just encourage them and love on them. That's another part of our ministry. Now, you are the key to getting in to the schools. You are the key to doing that. And so that's why we have teams come down every single year, we have around, usually around eight, nine, or ten teams come every year to help us with this process. You're the key that opens the door. If the church planter, the Costa Rican church planter, goes to the high school and says, you know, I want to come in here, they're going to be like, this is a joke, right? They probably won't let them in. But if the church planter comes over and he says, I've got gringos coming, then they'll shut it down. You are the key that opens the door for them to get into the schools. And it's not just getting into schools, it's because they're planning a church, so, we're thinking, well, we need to have a place to house these teams because, it's, like I said, we usually have about eight, nine, or ten teams. Next year, we have us on schedule, right now, 19 teams coming. And I just had another person say, can we come too? So that would be 20. My wife's freaking out right now in the back. <laughs> 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 so, so, we built a team house out of containers. You may have seen this on something like this on HDTV. You know, they're building these houses out of containers. And so we bought four containers and um, had a team come down. They put up walls and did sanding and painting. And this is one of the completed rooms here. And so we'd be putting uh, bunk beds in here. This is one of the bathrooms. There's four rooms and four bathrooms. Uh, You can have four bunk beds in each room. So that's up to 32 people can be in this building. We put a glass sliding door system on one end. That's what it looks like when it's open. Tiled the floor in the middle. This is the other side. Of course, we still got some stuff to do in the building. We had a youth uh, retreat there already. And we're going to have a kids retreat in January. And this is what it looks like from the outside. Obviously, we've got to do some painting and things like that. But this building is a huge blessing because those of you and other teams that will come through this building, God's going to use you and others for his glory. One of the things I wanted to... Oh, the project that we have, I forgot that. We're trying to raise $30,000 to buy a used bus. This is a new one, but uh, we're, one of the things we're trying to do is get a bus uh, for the, when we have the teams down. And again, here's our our logo. So we just want to thank you once again for helping in all of that process. Now, today... One of the things that I wanted to um, also share with you about planning churches is this issue of brotherhood and everybody coming together and working together. And you may be sitting here today and you may think, well, what can I do? What can I do? I'm not a doctor. I'm not a nurse. Some of you saw uh, the the DeKryger presentation this morning and you say, well, I know, what can I do? You don't have to be a nurse or a doctor to help with the medical. If you can come down and take somebody's height and their weight, we can use you. If you can put a numbered sticker on somebody's shoulder, we can use you, okay? We will keep you busy. Some of you have been down on the teams with us uh, with construction and work work routines, and you don't have to speak the language. All you have to do is speak the language of God's love. And that's what the people receive. So I want to encourage you to think about coming down and helping us uh, on the field of Costa Rica. Um, one of the things that we've been trying to do in Costa Rica as well is, God's laid on my heart to show people this thing that we're talking about, like the theme of this message, of this uh, conference is follow me. And it's one of the things that we've been talking with uh, Costa Ricans about and also teams that come down. And when we talk about the Great Commission, obviously we're thinking about Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go, therefore, make make disciples of all nations. This is, everybody knows that. But it could be that as we are talking about making disciples, there may be some confusion about it. Like, what does that really look like? What does that really mean, to make disciples? I mean, if somebody, if you were a chef and your boss came to you and said, you need to make gajo pinto, you know, you'd be like, okay, what's that? Some of you may know what that is. Others of you may not know what it is. But if your job depended on you making gajo pinto, what might you do? You might Google it, all right? And find out what this is and then try to make it. I feel like it's kind of the same deal when we're looking at this verse and we go, make disciples. And some of us are a little confused and we go like, what in the world is that? How do you really do that? And so I just wanted to share with you some ideas today. And hopefully you had this little handout right here. It's like a little church bulletin. Hopefully you have that. And you can fill that out as uh, we go along, as we go along. The first question that we should ask ourselves when we're talking about making disciples on your paper is, what is a disciple? Like, what is that? What is that about? Okay? We've got to figure out what that is. And to do that, I'm going to propose to you a definition of what a disciple is. And that d- definition is going to come from Matthew 4, 19 and 20. Matthew 4, 19 and 20. And we're going to look at that. It says, and he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. I'm going to move this podium over to the side, actually. You can see these four chairs I have behind me. We're going to be dividing up this passage of Scripture into four parts, and that's going to give us a definition of what a disciple is. And hopefully, it'll be something practical that we can use uh, in our lives. First thing that Jesus says in this passage of Scripture is, follow me. Follow me. Now, this has to do with a head decision. This is a head decision. Why is it a head decision? Because a disciple has to decide to follow Christ. You have to decide to follow Christ is the first part of being a disciple. Now, a man named Dan Spader, he came up with this method called four chairs. And the four chairs represent spiritual growth. And we all go through this process, and everyone in the world is sitting in one of these four chairs. Everyone here today, everyone around the world is sitting in one of these four chairs. And this is chair number one. We're going to see who the Bible says is sitting in chair number one. And to do that. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5, which says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made alive together with Christ. So, in that chair on your paper, you can write the word dead. Now, spiritually dead. And some people say, well, that sounds really harsh. Well, I didn't come up with it. The Bible, it's in the Bible, okay? They're spiritually dead. And the spiritually dead person has a characteristic, and that characteristic is unbelief. They just don't believe. Like you may talk to somebody, there may be people that you know you've shared the gospel with and they don't believe. It's unbelief. But the majority of the world is sitting in chair one. And our job is to share Christ with people so that they can move from chair one and then progress to chair two. Okay? Let's very quickly look at chair two. What's going on in chair two? I will make you. It says, follow me. I will make you. Now, this has to do with, your, with the person's heart, the spiritual heart of the person. If I can tape this on here. doesn't want to stay. It's probably going to fall over. Let's see if that will just stay up there for a second anyway. Yep, I'll leave it like that. The heart of the person and a disciple is being changed by Christ. But this change is a heart change. It's a heart change, it's not a behavioral change, and by that I mean this. This is an example I always give. What if, you know, you have a little child, three or four years old, and it's little Timmy, and it's time for dinner. And little Timmy stands up at the in the chair at the table, and the dad says, "Well, little Timmy, it's time for dinner. You need to sit down." And Timmy goes, "Mm mm," and he goes, "Well, you need to sit down." "Mm mm," little. Timmy, you know it's coming if you don't sit down. So then he sits down, but he's smiling. And the dad says, what, why, what, what are you smiling about? He says, well, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. <laughs> right? So you changed his behavior, but you didn't change what was going on in his heart. And really Christ, what he wants to do is he wants to change what's going on in our hearts. And that's what this chair two is all about. We're going to see who's sitting in chair two. There's actually two people sitting in chair two. We're going to look at 1 Peter 2, 2 real quick. And that says, like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. So the first person that's in share number two is infant. When a person receives Christ, to become a spiritual infant. Spiritual infants have a characteristic, and that is a lack of knowledge. A lack of knowledge. You just don't know anything. Right? When you see a little newborn baby, they don't know anything. Somebody needs to teach that newborn baby. There's a second person in this chair, and we're going to look at 1 John 2.13 to see who's sitting in this chair as well. And 1 John 2.13 says, I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you children because you know the Father. So we're going to look at the last... Growth level, which is um, that's listed here, which is children. Okay, so children. The reason why I put infants and children is because you deal with a newborn differently than you would do, deal with a the two year old. There's just two different levels. And children also have a characteristic, and that's just being selfish. That's being selfish, just normal. Very normal for a child to be selfish. How many parents in here? You sat your child down when they were young, and you said, okay, little Timmy, today we're going to learn the word no. <laughs> say it like this, no. Say it, you know, that, you guys went through that, right? right? And, uh, next lesson, little Timmy, is mine, mine, but say it annoying, mine. Say it like that. Okay, good. Practice that for a while. You guys did that, right? <laughs> you all you know, practice that with your kids? Didn't have to, because it's just a normal thing. They're going to be selfish. Spiritually speaking, it's also the same deal. The person in chair one, they hear the gospel, they get saved, they move to chair number two, right? Now they're a spiritual infant, now they're a child. What could happen for people in chair two is that they become selfish, they become people who think about what's going on for them, or what's best for them. For example, you come into church. Man, it's hot in here. Oh, so sneaking hot in here, you know? You need to turn the heat down. Another the person, they need to turn the heat up in here. It's kind of cold, it's kind of cold in here. Somebody turn the heat up. Why is it so dark in here? Somebody turn the lights up. I mean, why well, we got windows? You got blinds on. Open the open the blinds. You got other people, you know. You need to turn the lights down. Create a nice ambiance. You know, turn the lights down. Well, you know, I really like the pews because they're great. And I heard they were talking about taking out the pews. Man, I'm so glad they were talking about taking out the pews. I don't like those pews, you know. Pastor Bill, you know, uh, I looked right at you, Pastor Bill. You didn't say hi to me. Well, Pastor Steve, I, w- I would have helped, but somebody didn't, you know, nobody asked me. I would have helped, but no one asked me to help. So I, that's why I didn't help. Okay, so those are, sound a little familiar? So... These are things that chair two people would say. And that's normal. It's a normal growth level thing. Okay? But if you're here 10 years, 15 years, no good. That's not good at all. Why? Because there is a chair number three and a chair number four. We're going to look at chair number three here, and that is fishers of men. He says, follow me, I will make you. And in here, he says, fishers of men. I don't know if you've ever gone fishing, but you may need to use your hands. So this has to do with your hands. And a disciple is one who participates in the mission. See, the Bible tells us, be doers of the word, not hearers only, fooling yourself. Chair one and two are hearers of the word. Chair three and four are doers of the word. My challenge for all of us is to look at the process, find out where we are so we can keep advancing. But you want to be a doer of the Word, not just a hearer of the Word. And if you're teaching, your job is to produce a doer, not a hearer. Well, I've been teaching for 35 years in Sunday school. Okay, but did you produce any doers? The only way we're going to know is if we're spending time with them. That's how we're going to know. First John 2:13, we're going to see who's sitting in chair number three, according to the Bible. It's young men. But We're going to put the word "youth," because we're going to be all-inclusive. we're not going to leave anybody out. The word "youth" is sitting in the chair. Now this is not talking about your spiritual aid, your, your physical aid, It's just talking about your spiritual maturity. You could be 83 years old and you're technically a spiritual youth. You're helping, you're serving. You're here in chair number three. Characteristic is, they serve God and others serving God and others. It's not about just coming to church, which is necessary, which should happen, which God tells us to do. It's not just about coming to church and gathering together. It's about doing. So if you're here today, I encourage you to find a way to serve in the church and serve outside the church as well. That's what should be happening. I heard an example once that we all love the huddle. You imagine if you won tickets to the Super Bowl and you're on the 50-yard line right down there watching your team play. Your team comes up and they, they huddle up, you know, and they go, break, boom, and they go sit on the bench. You go, what is happening? So they call them out again, they all get back on the field and they huddle up, calls the play, break, and they all sit down again. And that's the whole game. The entire game's like that. How exciting would that be? Yay! But isn't that what we're doing, church? Do we come together, huddle together, and Pastor Bill throws out the play, and then we go break, and then we just all sit down? God's calling us to be a doer, not a hearer only. Hearing is necessary, but doing is also necessary. And that's chair three. You move to be a doer. But there's a chair four there's a chair four. Most churches that i found don't consider chair four at all. This chair doesn't exist. What happens is you've got these three chairs here and that's it. You know, you get saved, you get injected into Sunday school, and you start serving a church and you just go through this pattern over and over again. But I believe there's a chair four that many of us might be missing. I believe there's a chair four that's given to us By God, in the same passage that we looked at. So we went from follow me, I will make you fishers of men. But let's look at chapter four. And again, I believe that many churches aren't even considering or challenging their people to move to. Left their nets and followed. This is verse 20. Said they immediately left their nets and followed. And that has to do with your feet. This has to do with your feet. Why? Because a disciple... I'm sorry. We're going to look at two verses here in 14, 13, 14, Luke 14, 33. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce 10% of what you have cannot be my disciple. Why Why are you laughing? So, therefore, any of you who does not denounce 10%, all, is that what it says? Mm-hmm. What does it say? All. Uh-huh. You know what all means in the Greek? All. <laughs> it's real deep. <laughs> real deep. 100%. If we focus so much on the 10%, but God's saying all, 100%. If you've got a problem with 10%, you're going to have a big problem with 100%. 100%. Well, I'm a disciple, and I give my tithe. Great. Have you renounced all? Well, you know, I mean, like, all of it? Well, I mean, you're, a little, you're rough, Lamar. No, I didn't say it. <laughs> Jesus said it. You become a disciple of Christ when you renounce all. There's another verse we're going to look at. It's not on your paper. You can write it down. It's Isaiah 6, 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and whom will, who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send Steve Nichols. <laughs> Here I am, Lord. Send Bill Abernathy, Please. Or are we at the point where we said, here I am, send me. Send me. See, at some point we gotta drop your, you gotta drop your nets and put feet to it. Because maybe God's calling you to serve here, that's fine, but maybe God's calling you to serve over there, somewhere. And he says, I need you to drop your nets. Drop your business, drop your dream, drop the idea that you have in your mind for your life because I have a plan for you that's not that and I need you to drop it immediately and I need you to follow me. See, it's real nice when we can come together as a church and we can talk about follow me, but God's saying who is going to put feet to it and do it. And I'm saying, not saying that God's calling us all to the mission field. I, I, I get it. But I think he's calling somebody. Because how are we going to make disciples of all the nations if nobody wants to go there? And God's calling his people to go. And it may just be on a short-term deal. It may not be a lifetime deal. It may just be a short-term. It might just be for a week. It might be for two years. It might be for more. Are you open to doing that, to leaving your net and putting feet to it? What will you do? What will you do? Will you respond? Will you respond? You see, you become a disciple of Christ when you follow him, when you come over here and let him change you. When he said, I will make you, he's going to change you into something that you're not. You let him do that. And then you start serving him, and then you renounce it all. Why? Because a disciple renounces all and responds to the call. And who's in his chair? 1 John 2 13. I'm writing to you, fathers, but we're going to use the word parent. And parents have a couple of characteristics. How do you become a parent? Well, you have to have children in the same way spiritually. You have to have spiritual children. Anybody in your life can refer to you as their spiritual mom or dad? Anybody? That should just be a norm for some of us. Number two, they're intentional. A good parent is intentional. They have a plan. taking people through this process. And number three, they develop other spiritual parents. I'm going to end off... On this now, I heard a story—true story—of a photographer, and uh, he was in Africa. And as he was there, um, there was a lot of famine and disease going on, and he was making his way out, and he was catching a plane to fly out. And I don't remember where exactly it was. But on his way out with his camera and everything, his gear, he was trying to get on that plane. He was making his way there, and something that he saw stopped him in his tracks. I mean, just stopped him. Something that was very impactful that he saw totally stopped him in his tracks. I'm going to show you what he saw. This is what he saw. So as a good photographer, he, he said, man, i got to share this image with people. He pulled his camera out, probably adjusted his lens, and... Oh, the lighting, let me get... And then he got on the plane. It's a true story. You can look this up. You can Google it. little girl and the vulture, actually a little boy, a little boy and a vulture. This man went home. He developed that roll of film. And he said, I'm going to turn this into Pulitzer Prize. You ever heard of Pulitzer Prize? He turned the photo into them. And he won for this picture he became internationally famous for this picture now i don't know all the details a couple of different versions of the story but what i do know that is within 6 months of him winning the prize international fame for this picture within 6 months he killed himself And I'm just wondering, church, how many times do I walk past God's children who need to be saved? But I'm too busy sitting in chair number two. I'm too busy chair number two person. It's all about me. All about me. Nobody called me. Nobody told me. Nobody's thinking about me. All about me. Can we think about it where we can move out of here too and start being a doer? You see, the, the bird behind this child is not any old bird. That's a vulture. That vulture is waiting. He's waiting for that child to die. And spiritually, that vulture is Satan. And he's waiting. And we as God's people just walk on by. And he says, that's okay. They don't have time. I've got all the time to wait. I'll wait. I'll wait. God's people walk on by. God's people won't put feet to it. They won't go. I'll wait here just patiently. You see, God's calling his people to put feet to what we're saying. Do we really believe that we are commanded to make disciples of the nations? Well, then who's going to go? Who's going to put feet to it and go? Maybe just for a week. Can you give up just a week? Just a week of your time. Can you give a couple years of your life? Maybe God's calling you to a lifetime. But he says, you're my disciple when you renounce all and you respond to the call. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes this morning. We're going to end off on that. I don't know the majority of you. You don't know me. But God knows each and every one of us. And God says that he has people around the world that need to hear about him. And God says, I can use each and every one of you here. And it's not about your strength, it's about my strength. I can do it through you. But will you renounce all and respond to the call, would be willing to do that? Somebody's got to go. And if you leave here today after seeing this picture, I want this picture to burn in your heart, in your mind, spiritually. Children, people, they're waiting. They need you. They need you, will you renounce all and respond to the call? Will you do it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come into your house, the opportunity to hear about what you're doing around the world, in Africa, in Costa Rica, and other places. We thank you for the blessing and the provision that you have given to this church in particular, I pray that you would continue to raise up leaders, missionaries, people who are willing to say, I will drop my net and I will follow you anywhere. I will do whatever it takes. I will not leave your children behind. I will go to them. I will not let Satan have the victory. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know where that is, but I'm going to do it. I will be a doer, not just a hearer. I want to give you just a half second here, a couple of seconds here for you to pray in silence and ask God what he would have
1: you to do.